Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy. Your guest co-host is supposed to be Chas Kelly. We're just waiting on him to get in here, but I truly appreciate all y'all being being here with me because it's going down this Saturday night live from Jacksonville, Florida, from the Vistar Veteran Memorials Arena. And I mean, these three main fights are going to be epic. Obviously, you got the reigning, defending, undisputed UFC featherweight champion, Alexander Volkanovsky, taking on one of the most exciting fighters, not just in the featherweight division, but in the history of the sport and the Korean zombie. Also, you got the long-awaited rematch between Aljamain Sterling and Piotr Yan. Um, as far as I'm concerned, Piotr Yan's putting his undisputed belt on the line against the number one contender, Sterling. I know a lot of people think that, you know, I, I've been uh, disrespecting Sterling and this and that. I hold Sterling in high regard, man. I truly think that Sterling is the clear-cut number one contender. I think he's an amazing fighter. I just don't think he's the champ. But he's got the chance to prove me wrong uh, Saturday night. You know, if he goes out there and actually beats uh, Piotr Yan, I'm not talking about some bullshit, but he actually beats him, then uh, there's nothing I can say anymore. And then the featured bout, I mean, come on. Hamzat Chimaev, one of the most, I mean, I want to say hyped, but deservedly so, but the talk of the town, this is... This is the guy that, you know, a lot of people think could go out there and dethrone Kamaru Usman. Hamza Chimaev is making a big jump. Uh, I mean, he's going from number 11. He's fighting number two in the world, Gilbert Burns. Uh, I mean, you guys know what Gilbert Burns brings to the table. High-level jujitsu, knockout power in both hands. He's fought everybody. So it should be very, very exciting. Um, so... I think I'm just going to start breaking this whole cart down, start to finish, and hopefully by the time Skelly rolls around here, we'll be at the the fights y'all want to hear him talk about. So first up, in the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Julio Arce, he's 17-5, and five, taking on Daniel Willie Cat Santos, who's 10-1, and one, or as we like to say in Brazil, guys, Daniel Willie Catchy Santos. And currently, they got... Julio Arce, it just depends where you look, minus 180. The comeback on Daniel Santos is plus 160. So this is going to be a hell of a scrap to kick things off. And a lot of people don't really know about Daniel Santos, but I've actually am very fortunate that I've known about this kid for years because a a while back he was actually – so listen to the balls on this kid. This kid, Daniel Santos, is a 135-er. He offered to fight my buddy Robert Hale, who is a welterweight. <laughs> like, that's the kind of balls this kid Daniel Santos has. Um, I don't know why the fight never came to fruition. I mean, we were in, but, you know, and I know Daniel Santos was in too, but I think, you know, the athletic commission wasn't going to sanction a welterweight versus a bantamweight. But it just shows that this dude, Daniel Santos, is not scared of anybody. He trains that shoot the box, you know. Obviously, the coach, Diego Lima. I'm not talking about Diego Lewis's brother. I'm talking about Diego Lima, the coach that brought up, you know, Charles Dubronx Oliveira. The guy that brought up Tomas Almeida. And, guys, let's not talk about Tomas Almeida's current form. Let's talk about Tomas Almeida when he was that guy who was, like, what, 20 and 1 uh, when he was first coming in the scene. He was the talk of the town. So, I mean, shoot the boxes produced some really – really, really good uh, fighters there. And then, obviously, Julio Arce on the, on the other side, he comes from Tiger Shulman. They've produced Jimmy Rivera, Shane Burgos. So, Arce, look, he's got the experience. He's fought the better level of competition, you know, uh, obviously a, a better strength of schedule. And he's just kind of 
very fundamentally sound. You know, you're not going to see Julio Arce really take too many unnecessary risks. But on the flip side, you don't really see him in bad spots either. Now, from time to time, he will get dropped. His last three losses, he's been knocked down three times. So we got to address that because this kid, Daniel Santos, he has that classic shoot-to-box style. This guy comes out here. He's aggressive as hell. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you guys have heard plenty of people talk about how Daniel Santos was out here on his regional scene, which, by the way, a lot of those fights were in Russia. So, again, you know, bring up the kind of balls this kid Daniel Santos has to go out there in Russia and fight with those guys. And he's got a bunch of spinning knockouts, you know, kicks, elbows. But what I really like about him is his aggression, his heart in the pocket. He can fire off some big combinations. And his wrestling defense is not half bad either, man. I've seen him stuff plenty of takedowns. I've seen him get back up from bottom. And he's an improving product. Now, the big worry here is that Santos has been out, you know, since 2019. And I don't view that as a bad thing in terms of his progression because you got to take this into consideration. You know, he's only what? He's only 27 years old. He's just a kid. Last time he fought, he was what? Um, I'm not. He was like, what, 24 years old, something among those lines. So basically, you're probably going to see a brand new guy here. The only thing I'm worried about from the Daniel Santos side is. You know, that first time under the bright lights, uh, going out there and, you know, fighting a guy who's been there so many times. The moment, right? Is the moment going to be too much for a guy like Daniel Santos? Because I think that if this guy gets his feet wet, um, I think he can actually make some in the Bantamweight division. I think he is that talented. And honestly, at a price like this, I'm willing to roll the odds and take him here. And you got to understand the kind of respect I have for Julio Arce. But like I said, he's a very fundamentally sound guy. You know, he's not going to come out here and just go balls to the wall. He's more of a guy who'll take his time, make his, you know, if he sees an opening for a takedown, he's going to get it. Um, and then when he starts getting off on his shots, uh, he's a. Uh, My bad, y'all. I just kicked myself out my own stream. Um, he's very accurate as well, is Julio Arce. So I see the angle with, you know, the experience edge and all that. But, man, I just don't feel comfortable laying, you know, minus 200 on a guy like Julio Arce who fights, generally fights so close. I mean, you can bring up the, uh, you know, the Andre Uhl fight, which was a great performance, and I'm not going to sit here and discredit it, but let's also not sit here and act like, firstly, Andre Uhl is no longer with the company. Andre Uhl kind of peaked out, man, and one thing about you know, Santos is he's getting better every single time. So, you know, you're dealing with a young, hungry, rising guy, and Julio Arce, I, I kind of do think he's peaked out. I haven't seen much uh, evolution in his game. Um, but he's but he he he's solid though. You gotta you gotta respect that. So I understand why people are taking Arce here. I just can't get behind this price, man. And uh, it really comes down to how is Daniel Santos going to perform off that layoff under the bright lights for the first time? How's he going to perform? And if he comes out here and shows up as a better version of himself, because he's like I said, he's 27 now. You know that kid you saw before was only 24 or whatever. So. I think we will see a better Daniel Santos, and at a price like this, I'm willing to roll the dice. So quite honestly, I'm going to take this kid Daniel Santos for the upset, and uh, let's see what happens, y'all. And what do y'all think about that press conference? Y'all enjoyed it today? I, I mean, I thought that I did not like what I was hearing from Gilbert Burns, man, and also uh, 
Piotr Yan and Hamza, I mean, the confidence brimming from those guys, like, oh my God, like you just, you just feel their aura, you feel their presence. And then you got the skills that they got to back it up. Look out, look out if you're someone in their divisions. Now, guys, do me a huge favor. Smash that like button. Hit that subscribe button. I truly appreciate it. Now, next up in the strawweight division, we got a matchup between Piera Rodriguez. She's 7-0, and taking on Kay Hansen, who is 7-5. and And currently, they got it. Piera Rodriguez, minus 120. The comeback on Kay Hansen is plus 100. This is another interesting one, man, because it's like, can we rely on Kay Hansen to do what she needs to do here? And what she needs to do here is get this fight to the mat. Kay Hansen has fought significantly better competition. I mean, a lot of people even think that she went out there and beat Aaron Blanchfield. Now, granted, Blanchfield, another young kid. I mean, she was, what, like 19 or 20 back when they fought. So I think if they ran it back, I got Blanchfield. But still, I can't take anything away from Kay Hansen. She, a lot of people, if you go on Twitter right now, you do a Twitter search, type in Hansen and Blanchfield. A lot of people are making arguments and cases that, uh, that Hansen actually won that fight, but that's neither here nor there. It's about where they're at on their respective careers. Um, I really don't even want to be that guy that's bringing up the only fan shit, even though I am bringing it up. But word on the street is she's making pretty decent money there to where like she might not even need this fighting game shit anymore. You know what I mean? And if and if she's at all checked out, listen, Pierre Rodriguez thing about her, you got to respect the fact that. She is super confident. She's undefeated. Uh, she's a Latina girl, so you know she fights with a lot of pride. She's from Venezuela, probably one of the only fighters from Venezuela um, in the UFC currently. And that makes her stand out is her hands for the weight class. She's got very clean hands. Dana even said she's got knockout power, and you don't often see one hitter quitter in the strawweight division. So to me, it's one of these things where, look, obviously I think that Kay Hansen's got that edge on the mat. It's just about wanting someone to do something and then, and them actually doing it are two different things. Kay Hansen comes out here with the right game plan. I think she can win, but on the feet, man, the crispness of Piero Rodriguez uh, hands is something different than Kay Hansen. So kind of it. I mean, I hate to talk in general terms, striker versus grappler, but it is kind of a striker versus grappler match. Um, and then you also got a question, where's Kay at mentally, man? Is she still into this shit? Does she even need this anymore? So I don't know. It's a tough one. It seems like everybody's on Kay Hansen, and I get why, because that path to victory is absolutely there. But, hey, Chas Kelly just messaged me. He said he's on his way now. So sorry. All good, brother. Talk soon. All right, cool. So we confirmed he's not uh, he's not pulling. Uh, who's someone that, like, <laughs> Who's someone that's like backed out of a fight like the day of? You know what I'm saying? He ain't pulling a. Oh God, I'm gonna be like such a dick to all my UK fans. He's not pulling a Tom Breeze or anything like that. My boy Chaz is about to show up here in a second. Everybody's on Hanson here, and I get why. But I'm gonna go on the opposite side. Take Piero Rodriguez. I don't have a bet on it or anything. I'm not. I'm not confident at all. But it's just really about where this fight takes place. I know that's such a broad way of you know. <laughs> Of looking at things, but that's just kind of my opinion here. My boy Michael says, Dan better boo the paper chant. Listen, man, I'm not gonna boo anybody. You know, it's fun to talk, but at the end of the day, I don't I don't got any friends that have the balls to step in <laughs> to get into a fist fight with Peter Yan. So as much shit as we talk, like this dude, 
he's getting into a fight with Peter Yan. Like, <laughs> all respect, man. I mean, like I said, I might not consider Alger champion, but I 100% consider Aljamain the number one contender. And I think he's one of the most skilled fighters in the division. Like, people need to understand because I always get, why do you hate Aljo so much? I, I don't hate Aljo actually at all. I mean, do I think he's a little cringy? Yes. Do I think he's not the champion? Yes. But I don't hate him. He's, he's an exceptional fighter. You know, it's just that he's fighting in Peter Yan's era. And that's just the bottom line. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got a matchup between Anthony Fluffy Hernandez. He's eight and two, taking on Josh Fremd who's nine and two this this is going to be a very exciting fight by the way guys so this is one you don't want to miss currently they got an anthony fluffy hernandez minus 200 the comeback on josh fremd is plus 170 so you guys know about fluffy i'll talk about him in a sec let me talk about the newcomer josh fremd man it's good to have him in the ufc finally man this is a guy who's been paying his dues on the regional scene and he's going to be a matchup problem for a lot of guys. He's six foot four. He's very tall for the weight class. And offensively speaking, I love it, man. The calf kicks. He fights behind his jab. You, you're going to see some vicious knockouts. Just him being that tall and the skills that he brings to the table, the knees, like I said, the calf, the punches. And you shoot a sloppy takedown on him. Don't, don't be surprised when he snatches up your neck. It's just with being said, defensively is where I have the issue with Josh Fremd, man, you know, because in being 6'4", yes, he does have a lot of physical advantages, but he's also got some of that tall man's defense. I've seen him drop in multiple fights. I'm not even just talking about, you know, the KO loss to RoboCop. Listen, we know RoboCop hits super hard, and listen, you, you're a guy that stands and bangs from time to time. You're going to get caught. That's just how the fight game works. Uh, but it wasn't just the RoboCop fight. His subsequent fight, um, when he fought uh, that Brazilian... I think they pronounce his name Volante, not like my boy John Volante. Um, oh, it's Valente, Renato Valente. When he fought him, he actually got dropped in the first round there, too. And that's what I'm worried about in this fight here with Full Frem because, you know, at first when I saw like a plus 170 on Frem, I was thinking to myself, well, not too many people know about Frem, but I've been following him on the regional scene and I've said that this guy deserves a UFC opportunity. And finally, he's getting that opportunity. And we're, we'll talk about Fluffy for a second. It, it, it's just the issue with Frem. Like I said, defensively speaking is where I got to draw the line. That tall man's defense, he eats a lot of unnecessary shots. So there's always a chance to knocked out in these fights. I don't think toughness is an issue with him, though. I think the guy's tough as nails. And I do think he's going to go on to win a lot of fights in the UFC. And in addition to that, I, I think that he's actually uh, going to have a lot of highlight reel knockouts uh, in the UFC possibly saturday it's just he, here's the thing with fluffy hernandez man he's obviously more seasoned even though friend has more fights than fluffy but fluffy's fought the better level of competition he's been under those bright lights inside the octagon which counts for a lot and what i like about fluffy man obviously you know about the big hands you know that he beat brendan allen in a five-round fight on the regional scene he went out there submitted Rodolfo vieira um, he's got a very nice guillotine, a very nice Darce and Anaconda series. So I was talking about how Josh Fremd, I don't want to call him chinny. It's not that he's chinny, guys. It's more so that he's got that tall man defense. He kind of fights with his hands down, chin in the air, and dudes are going to catch you. It doesn't matter if your chin's on point or not. You're getting hit flush with four-ounce gloves, and you know you can't expect to always eat those shots. We know Anthony can crack. Now, on the flip side, Anthony's got a solid chin, but Anthony has kind of had 
No disrespect to one of my all-time favorite fighters, Matt Brown, but he's kind of had that Matt Brown body. <laughs> he's been rock body on multiple occasions, but I've seen him get through some tough spots, man. Uh, and that that fight against John Young Park definitely had to weather a storm. Definitely had to weather a storm against Rodolfo Vieira. But then there's been some head scratchers there. You know, the Kevin Holland fight. Look, there's no shame in losing to a guy like Kevin Holland. It's just the way the fight went down is where the head scratcher was. Um, you just ran through him, no problem. Even the Marcus Maluco fight, you know, you would have expected a better performance, but I do think that Anthony Hernandez is kind of, he's putting on size. He's kind of, I don't want to say if he's filling out that mid little, but he, he definitely looks to be taking things seriously and do that sprawl he showed against Rodolfo Vieira. Like I get it. Rodolfo death gassed as the kids like to say, but, uh, that sprawl was absolutely gorgeous that he had, uh, on Rodolfo Vieira. So, I kind of do think that Hernandez can just kind of capitalize on these openings that friend leaves with that tall man's defense. But man, you just can't write off a guy like Josh Fred, man. So dangerous, so big for the weight class. Hernandez has been vulnerable in the past uh, to, to body shots, to things like that, um, to anaconda chokes. Josh friend's got some long arms. I'm not writing this guy off, but I'm slightly leaning with Anthony Hernandez uh, in this spot. But you can make a case for Dogger Pass here. I mean, I, I, you're not going to get an argument from me, and I'm also not going to lay the chalk on uh, on Hernandez. But I do think that I'm not, I'm not trying to say that you know down the stretch Frem fades because that's not what I think happens. I think when Frem loses the fights, it's more so of a thing of again. Fights with his hands down, fights with his chin in the air, gets like that kind of stuff. Even if he's dominating around and then gets dropped, he's going to lose that round. And he can get dropped, and Anthony Hernandez can jump on that neck and snatch it. So I do lean Anthony Hernandez. I'm just not crazy about laying minus 200 in a spot against a very game guy in Fremd who, like I said, he's paid his dues outside the UFC. He's ready for this opportunity. So one thing I will say, um, I was going to say take the fight doesn't go the distance, but I think I checked earlier. It was like minus 500. So don't even fuck around. I think it's dog or pass, but my uh, my official pick is Hernandez, but no bet on my part, man, because I do have a lot of respect for Josh Fremd, and I'm, I'm glad to see him finally getting his UFC opportunity. My boy John Gio says beer game on point. Hey, man, it's Hamza Chimaya fight week. You got to act accordingly. You know what I'm saying? I appreciate you, man. My boy Z, uh, Zile. Dude, I don't even know how to fucking pronounce your name, and I've been fucking following you for how many years now? See you tomorrow, fam. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow, my man. Hey, if any of y'all are in Jacksonville for the for the weekend for the fights, you know I'm going to be there, right? So come through. Come say what's up, man. I, I, I'd i love to meet all you guys. So, yeah, definitely look out for me. Message me on 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 Twitter, at Best Fight Picks, and let me know what's up, man. Um. You know, I, I was going to say uh, during the Aspen Lad fight, I mean, who the fuck wants to watch an Aspen Lad fight? Uh, and and I'm, I'm not trying to shit on the UFC fighter, but you all saw that Norma Dumont fight. I guarantee you, everyone that does tape study didn't go back and watch that fight. I mean, unless you were trying to go to sleep, you know, the ambient wasn't working. And then you pop on that Norma Dumont fight. And that wasn't Norma Dumont's fault. That was <laughs> Aspen Lad's fault. So let's meet up during the Aspen Lad fight. You know what I'm saying? And it's going to be when Raquel chokes her out or something. And I missed that, but it's okay. I'd rather meet you guys than watch Aspen Lad fight. Now, next up in the heavyweight division. Well, I just threw some shade, didn't I? But I mean, come on. Am I, am I, am I lying here? Were any lies detected, guys? 
Like, like let's keep it a hundred. Did, 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 did anybody that's watching this right now like that Aspen Latin Norma Dumont? Uh, keep it a hundred with me and smash that like button while you're at it. I truly appreciate it. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got a matchup between Alexei Olenek. He's 59 and 16. And that's all about because we're on the streets. This guy's got a lot more fights than that. He's taking on Jared Vandera, who is 12 and 7. And currently, they got it. A dead um, minus 110 Olenek, minus 110 Vandera. So, firstly, you got to address the age. My boy Olenek, uh, he will turn 45 June 25th. Um, but to his credit, this is a heavyweight fight. And oftentimes with the heavyweights, you know, some of them like have like resurgences in their 40s, man. Like you remember uh, where Doom's run back in the day, man? Uh, people were riding him off. Then he goes on and, be- and wins the belt. So a lot of these guys have seen success towards their 40s. It's just the thing is, oh, man, I really wanted to say he's closer to 50 than he is to 40, but that's not the case. But I will say this. He's closer to 45 than he is to 40. So let's just put that out there. And and with Jared Mandera, just to be as respectful as possible, I think that he's a tough guy. I think that he's a big guy, 6'4 with an 80-inch reach. He's only 29 years old, so maybe there's a chance for improvement here. I just haven't quite seen a UFC caliber guy in Vandera. And that's no disrespect because, like I said, he's not going out here, you know, pulling stunts or anything like that. He's just losing the better guys. Alexei have together. If Alexei can show up and give us one nice, one last good performance, I mean, I do think that it could be a Ezekiel choke season here. It's just that. If Alexei starts showing his age, you know, it might not matter who the opponent is. That's that's the stuff we got to work. Hold on. Chess Kelly's calling me. What's up, man? Oh, you're all good. You're all good. Just sign on um, the link I sent you to the DMs. And uh, I got the first fights out of the way for you. So we're all good. And just hop in here and uh, we'll run it. I know, I know you are, man. It's and it's all good for real, dude. So I'll see you in a second. All right, all right, man. So Chaz just called me, and he will be here shortly. He's very apologetic. No need to be, man. He had some shit going on. You know, we love Chaz Kelly. So, and the fights that we wanted to hear him break down, you know, that's what's coming up. So we didn't really miss anything out, um, miss out on anything rather. So this just comes down to this fight with Olenek and Mandera. I mean, it just comes down to kid showing, you know, this kid, this grown man showing, uh, showing his age at some point. And I just think that I, I just can't pick Jaron Vandera in a UFC fight period. And that's no disrespect, Vandera. If you're listening to this, I mean, you know, you'd whoop my ass. I'm not saying I'd beat you in a fight, but when you're talking about these guys like Olenek, who has been in there, beat guys like Fabricio were doing paid his dues fought everybody and honestly i thought that you know how he had those like two back-to-back first round losses came back against spivak even one around man so it's like from time to time he will show up and, and he's gonna surprise you so alexei is my pick it's just the reason that 
um, I don't want to say hesitant, but the reason that, you know, I'm kind of like, uh, it, it's because he's about to turn 45, my man. So, yeah, I, I'm going to go with Olenek, uh, but, you know, tre- tread, uh, proceed with caution, my guys. Now, but how fucking badass would it be to see an Ezekiel Chuck, a schoolyard headlock in Jacksonville, Florida? The, the, the place is going to erupt. I'll tell you that much right now. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got a matchup between Mickey Gall. Oh, here we go, here we go, baby. Chaz the Scrapper Skelly, what is up, my man? What's up, losers? <laughs> Hopefully, we're not losers Saturday night, Chaz. I'm trying oh, to cash no. out here, my man. For the love of God, please do not make us losers Saturday night. <laughs> I'm going to your formerly adopted uh, home state of Florida, and it sucks you're not going to be there. I know, man. You know, if I was uh, if I was there, I'd be I'd be there at the fights for sure. I I love going, but fortunately, it's storm season here in Texas, big time. Got to make some money, you know. Yeah, well, let's make some money on these fights, but but you still got a day or two to change your mind. So we'll see what happens, uh, Chaz. But right now, we got to talk about a welterweight between Mickey Gall. He's seven and four, and he's taking on Mike Malott, who is seven and one. And currently, they got it. Mike Malott, minus 200. The comeback on Malott is plus 160. Now, I took Mickey Gall at plus 170 here. Let me explain why. Now, you guys that have been watching the show for a long time know I've actually been very harsh on Mickey Gall. And, and the Randy Brown fight, Randy Brown was one of my biggest bets to date. I just simply thought that Mickey Gall wasn't ready at the time. But you know what I respect about this dude, Mickey Gall, is that Okay, he comes into the UFC and, you know, he's fighting guys like Mike Jackson, guys like CM Punk. And then all of a sudden he's fighting. He's in there with guys like Randy Brown. He's in there with guys like Diego Sanchez. Like I know now Diego Sanchez might be towards the tail end. But what I'm saying is that all the guys that are being Mickey Gall all have at least seven UFC wins under the belt, if not more. Like he's losing to real guys. And since to get that regional experience, he's literally learning as he goes under the bright lights of the UFC and he's he, and he's still with the company so like that alone has my respect and has kind of flipped my opinion on him now I'm not sitting here saying that Mickey Gall is going to be a future top 15 guy or anything close but what I am saying is that listen man the guy the guy has swam the guy has survived and the guy is still here and you have to be a level to beat him at this point and with this kid Mike Malott what I do like is he's a very guy comes from us, his family. I mean, you know, his brother is in the NHL, I believe. Someone correct me if I'm wrong. He plays with the Winnipeg Jets. Is, is that an NHL team or is that like uh, the, uh, the the other hockey league? Someone let me know in the comments. Bottom line, his brother is a professional hockey player. The only reason I bring that up is because, you know, he's got good genes. This kid's athletic, big. And, what, and what's interesting about that, when I say he's big and he's a welterweight, this guy is actually a former 45er. I I just can't fathom how this guy used to make 45s. But here's my issue with Mike Malach. Look, he's a great first-round finisher, man. I mean, this guy can go out there, and if there's no adversity presented his way for the most part, he can go out there, get a lot of people out there, get a lot of people out of there with punches, with opportunities of missions. Like, he's a finisher for sure. Every time I've seen him go past the first round, Shit has gone extremely sketchy. I mean, I can even point back to a fight where he actually he won the first round. 
loses the next two rounds to a, a 500 for a guy that had no business in there with him. The fight goes to a draw. So I just think that, you know, in the last, I think the stat was in the last like seven years or something, he's only been like three, he's only got three minutes of octagon time. Listen, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that he's not going to win this fight. But what I am sitting here and saying is, why the hell is he minus 200? He hasn't really proven anything at this point. Whereas Mickey Gall, yeah, I understand he's been losing to guys who at least have seven wins or more inside the octagon, all established vets. But he, but this guy's been paying his dues, and I've seen Mickey Gall win fights past the first round. I've seen Mickey Gall win decisions. I've seen him win second-round finishes. I think this is a spot where he can come out here and capitalize. At the very least, I think the fight should be a pick -em. So at plus 170 odds, which I got, I'm going to dice. And guys, you got to understand, like I said, one of my biggest bets ever was Randy Brown against Mickey. I even bet Diego Sanchez against Mickey. But I think that this is a spot where Mickey Gall can come out here and get a win. And Chaz really did uh, like a month or so at uh, your former Jim Sanford. So what's your opinion on this? Yeah, I mean, not my former gym. It's Stanford, you know, still my gym. Okay, yeah. okay, that's but, what's up. Uh, still represent Stanford, you know, love those guys. Obviously, best gym in the world. Um, and Jamie, or Mickey's sister, Jamie Gall, actually works for Stanford, too. She helps bring in the sponsors and stuff like that. Love Jamie. She's awesome. She's done a great job. Um, I actually didn't know. I knew Jamie. I actually don't even know Mickey. I, I was gone before he came down there. And, uh, but I did get to hang out with Jamie and she's super cool. Um, so I'm with Mickey too on this. When I watched the film on Malat, am I saying his last name right? Is it Malat? Is that how you yeah, pronounce it? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So when I, when I say, when I, when I watched the film on Malat, he, there's one thing about him that I really don't like. And I just, I really don't like it at all. It's that when you notice when somebody pressures him and throws in combinations, he almost freezes up and he doesn't know what to do. So his last fight, he gets a knockout, right? But the guy threw a naked kick and he throws a right hand down the pipe. Beautiful knockout. Not, not bashing him for it at all. But the problem is he was getting his ass kicked the rest of the round. He didn't, I don't know if he landed a punch before that. He's a very technical guy. He has great technical striking. So his striking is technically, it is better than Mickey Gall's on the film. His wrestling might be better than Mickey Gall's. I don't know. Mickey doesn't have the strongest wrestling. I do think that Mickey's probably a little bit better of a grappler. And like you said, I, I, I look at it the same way as you look at it. He grew up in the UFC. His level of competition has been head and shoulders above this guy's and he's survived and he's done really well. So to me, I'm looking at this, like, does Mickey come in with a smart game plan? To me, a smart game plan is when I watch this guy's previous film, I get in this guy's face and I throw combinations because he freezes up. He starts reaching, he even turns away a little bit against the cat. I mean, you watch, watch his, watch his last fight. We got the knockout. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I do. He, when, when he was thrown, the guy was throwing good shots. He was throwing like he would throw to the body and then come over top of the head, which, you know, the guy was throwing good shots. I can't, I can't say anything. I can't say like the guy wasn't what didn't look really good striking, but 
that's still that guy's not a high level of competition uh, yet. Anyways, I don't know the guy personally, so I don't know. You know, I don't know how, how good he is. Really, I haven't watched all of his film, but I only watched that one fight. But what I see on film is somebody who's gotten some quick finishes, who's got some tricky submissions, um, and Mickey Gall is a good grappler. So uh, a really good grappler. I think that I think that Mickey's a brown belt, but more at more at the brown black belt level, and especially as far as MMA and Nogi, you know, it's a completely different game. You know that. So, I mean, to me, oh, sorry, there's Thug Rose. <laughs> there's Thug Rose. Say hi, Thug Rose. She's just trying to here. Hold on, sorry. Get out of here. <laughs> so to me, I think I think Mickey is a smart guy um, who's been at Sanford. So I bet his wrestling has improved because if there's two things about Sanford, your striking's gonna improve, you don't have a choice. Your wrestling's gonna improve. And if you look at the people that he's been going with around his weight. He's been going with, uh, I'm sure, Gilbert Burns. I'm sure he's been going with Jason Jackson. I'm sure he's been going with Logan Storley. And those three people right there. And, and we have they have a ton of 70-pounder. Great. So Sato's got great judo. Uh, you know, Andre has great striking, too. It's, you know, so he doesn't have a choice but to improve on his striking and his wrestling. So even just being out there for six weeks, how eight weeks, He's going to have improved. Uh, he's going to have gotten better. I think Mickey Gall should crowd this guy, throw punches and bunches. The guy will kind of seize up, set your takedowns up off of that, and then work your top game. And I think Mickey Gall comes comes away with a victory. And I think I think a lot of people, I think people are going to feel a little uh, foolish for for uh, kind of jumping on jumping on somebody who really hasn't fought super proven. Hasn't been super proven. I, I think that Mickey's just fought the way better competition, and and he's going to pull through here. And he's got car. You know he's got cardio. The, and the thing with this guy is you don't know. You don't know. You don't know he's got cardio. He's a muscled up guy, fast twitch guy. One thing about this guy though is he does look very technically sound. When you watch his film, when he's throwing, when he's the hammer, he looks technically sound. Unfortunately, when he's the nail, he looks like he freezes up. And if you freeze up as the nail in the UFC, that's not that's not good because you're going to be the nail. It doesn't matter if it's a fight that you win, you could win, you know, and that you do win and that you're better than the guy. At some point, you're going to get caught, you're going to get hurt, and you're going to be the you're going to be the nail at some point. So, I think I think Mickey's a smart guy. He's going to come through. That's a good bet for me. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Aspen Ladd. She's 9-2, and two, taking on Raquel Pennington, who is 13-8. and eight. And currently, they got it. Raquel Pennington, minus 170. The comeback on Aspen Ladd is plus 155. So, Chas uh, I mean, I'd say Rocky Pennington's the more well-rounded fighter here, man. I mean, we've seen her. She even landed a takedown on Amanda Nunes at some point. Uh, I've seen her land some very nice chokes um you remember the one back in the day against ashley evan smith that bulldog choke she hit in a ufc yeah. fight and someone correct me if i'm wrong i think that might be the only bulldog choke in ufc uh women no, no no ufc bantamweight uh female oh. bantamweight history oh i'm sure i'm sure yeah yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's a tough you gotta be a strong girl to be hitting a bulldog choke i'd say that's a that's a tough one to finish somebody in. 
I mean, there's some pressure there, some side, some pressure that you can get, but that's a you gotta have some squeeze. I know yeah. I've I used to work the bulldog choke a lot. Uh, Mark Lehman, at one point uh, when I was with Team Takedown in Texas, Mark Lehman brought said, "Hey, you know, I want you to start working the bulldog choke," and and I was like, "All right, you know, I'll start working it." And and I started working it, and I was just like, "Man, I don't know if I can, I can get this. I'm kind of squeezing my arms out." There's, there are a few angles, though, to it, and you'll feel it when you get it, that once you got it sunken in and you can really – to me, it's putting your forehead to the mat more than, like, the squeeze. Like, Ben Askren, when you saw him do it, and I don't think Robbie Robbie Lawler wasn't out there either. But uh, when he did it, he was more squeezing. When I do it, I more squeeze and then put my forehead down. It kind of adds a little extra layer of, like uh, – Pressure there. Anyways, that's not important. Uh, but I agree with you 100%. I'm on Raquel Pennington here. Uh, and I think the way she does it is I think that she grinds her. I think that she uses a well-rounded MMA approach. Um, she's not afraid to box and stuff like that, obviously. Uh, Raquel's a tough, tough lady. Uh, she's she's just well-rounded, and she's been in there with really good competition. I see her coming out and using her strikes to, to at least push her against the cage and grind and grind and grind. And I think that she wins this fight by decision, by by just grinding it out and and uh, getting the takedowns and and doing some work on top and then and then just landing, just scoring when she's on her feet. I don't think she's going to be the better striker though. I think that Aspen Ladd is probably going to have a little bit of an advantage in the striking department. Really, I do. Um, but I think that. Just when I look at the way that they both strike, I could be wrong, but when I look at the way that they both strike, I see Aspen Ladd as – I think she's going to land a little cleaner. Uh, but I think that Raquel Pennington is going to use a well-rounded MMA approach and take this fight by decision. So we're picking the same winner. The, o- the only thing I disagree on on the feet because, honestly, I think that Aspen Ladd's best part of her game is when she gets on top of these girls she's super heavy and the ground and pound uh she starts making these sounds which gets the ref to start you know she starts looking at the ref and you know kind of uh gives the ref a little more incentive to come in there and stop the fight that that's what i'm worried about but at the same time man i mean you got to understand that rocky pennington like it's not that simple to just take her down and let alone hold her down um, like I mentioned earlier in the show, we're talking about someone that went out there against uh, Amanda Nunes and even landed a takedown. Like that's that's pretty damn impressive, man. Yeah, I think Raquel gets the takedowns here. I think Raquel looks for the takedowns. I could see it. I could see it. Um, so, look, the more well-rounded fighter here, no questions asked, is Rocky Pennington. I mean, we've seen all elements of her game, whereas I just – kind of like like you saw that last fight with aspen lad norma dumont and i hope that you didn't have to watch it again after that first time man like but i mean she literally just she didn't th- she didn't throw man she just she pulled a tyron woodley that night it was crazy man and you can't be doing stuff like that and then to take it a step further how's this weight cut going because she's historically had really rough cuts to 130 pounds the last one was at 45s I'm curious to see. I'm curious to see what she looks like on the scales. I think they both have, though. Yeah, has Rocky? Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't want to say. I mean, I want. 
I did do a weight cut with her once and she looked like she was struggling pretty good. Uh, I don't know if she's always like that. Actually, you know what? Now that I think about it, I talked to her in the hot tub and I don't want to, I don't want to tell anything about her personal stuff, but she was having some uh, health issues during that time. So she, you know, maybe her, her weight cuts aren't always like that. I do remember her saying something about she was having some health, health issues at that time. So her, her weight cuts might actually be easy. I don't know. I don't want to say anything. that's not true. How long ago was this? God, it was when she fought on the same card as me. Uh, like pre-post pandemic. It was pre-pandemic, way pre-pandemic. Uh, let me hold on. Let me look here for a second. That was. I think was I remember it, the. Was it a pay-per-view or a fight night? You're asking a lot of questions that I don't have answers to, but I, I got a, <laughs> I got a, I got a picture that I remember taking in the hot tub. I'm just going to try and look at the date on it. Okay. But while you do that, guys, I mean, you guys know my opinion on this. I think that the volume is really kind of not there on the fee for Aspen lad. I mean, she, she can crack from time to time. I mean, you saw what she did to Yana Kunitskaya is just where it's at for, Aspen Lad is when she gets on top of these girls, they seem to not be able to get back up. And and she's very good at looking at the ref and kind of convincing him to step in with the sounds, with the nonstop uh, ground and pound. So that's what I'm most worried about. But aside from that, I think that Rocky's got her covered everywhere. And I think that Rocky can, can go out there and just have that well-rounded MMA performance, whether it's on the feet, whether it's on the mat, whether it's mixing in those takedowns that Chess is referring to. So, yeah, I do think Pennington wins this fight. Back to the betting perspective, I'm not necessarily in a big rush to minus 190 in a fight like this where oftentimes these kind of fights do go to, you know, our split decisions, and we don't know what these judges are seeing. Just because we might view it a certain way doesn't mean they do. The judges in this sport, that's the one thing that needs to be changed. And Absolutely. I don't know, I don't know how you feel about this, but a lot of people are suggesting five judges. I disagree with that. Like, why, why, why have five incompetent judges? Like when, like, yeah, why, why, why do you need five idiots instead of three idiots? Exactly, exactly, Chaz. Like, can we just get three people that know what they're talking about? And here's the other thing: people have suggested let's get like former fighters and. On principle, are like you know, on on the baseline, it's like okay, that sounds like a good idea. But then there's the bias, there's this and that. So you got to make sure you're not putting them in there, judging the fights of their friends or their former teammates or their current. Yeah, teammates. yeah, it's hard. That's hard. So it's a fine line across. It's just you can't have you know, no disrespect. You know, I respect elders, but you just can't have these senior citizens that have zero fucking clue what they're watching, judging professional mixed martial arts fights that's why you guys see me posting the adelaide mean birds uh, the adelaide bird memes over and over and over during all those controversial decisions because that's the part of our sport that needs the most work man um and then it's also another thing people said like let's let the fan score and then you buy us there too so it's just such oh, a slippery slope you absolutely cannot let the fan score <laughs> yeah like I, I, I agree. <laughs> like if there's one thing, if there's one 
group of people that do not need to be scoring fights it's the fans <laughs> but you know to their credit even though i agree with you to their credit they're doing better than adelaide bird they're doing better than chris lee like at least when you go on like mma decisions i don't always agree with what these guys uh pick and you know again the only scorecards that matter are the three judges not what some media members think but at least for the most part they're they're judging the fights correctly as far as my eyes go so yeah it's tough man so that fight was a uh, ufc fight night 139 korean zombie versus yaya rodriguez Ooh, so hey remain to me she had a hard weight cut i know she was going through some uh medical stuff yes yeah, that's that's actually public she went public with that oh did she yeah 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 um i bet on Jermaine that fight actually um so is that the night you fought jordan griffin or is that the Bobby Moffat one? Bobby Moffat. Bobby Moffat. Hey, that's badass that they overturned that. Yeah. Well, they should. There's actually a video that I sent to the commission of me blinking, like like awake and blinking when he split it up. I mean, it's undeniable. I wasn't out. I wasn't going to be out either. He had just started to relax. I was – I mean, if you – I also sent a video to the commission of his next fight against uh, – Bryce Mitchell, he caught Bryce Mitchell in the same thing. And uh, Daniel Cormier is literally on comment, like watch the fight. Daniel commenta- uh, Cormier is commentating. He says, oh, yeah, uh, Bryce Mitchell did the exact right thing because he hit the same thing. He hit a Mars. He was underneath him, choking, choking, choking. Bryce Mitchell did the same thing I did and just waited it out, relaxed and waited it out. And then he lets it go. Bryce Mitchell ends up on top. And then he has gas out arms. Daniel Cormier is like, he did the exact right defense there. He, you know, he was caught in the choke. He knew that the leg wasn't the leg wasn't uh, laced. He wasn't in any trouble. He kept the hips away. He walked away and he just relaxed. And that's how you that's how you that's how you uh, relax out of that choke. It's exactly what I was doing. I also sent a clip of Bobby Moffat saying after the fight that he, you know, he's like, "Well, I don't know. I didn't have the leg laced there." And so, and I was like, "Yeah, I mean, you know, to to finish that choke." With me, I'm not going to pass out there. I've been in there a million times. I relax. I'm not tensed up. You know, I mean, I I, lo- I get put in those positions in training on purpose. And that's my choke, too. I put people there con- constantly. So, you know, he knew that he would have had to lace my leg to finish that. He knew he wasn't going to finish that. Well, either way, that's neither here nor there. How about, I don't want to get off on that. Come on. It's all good, man. We can talk to fights. and But, uh what I did want to bring up, even though it is another tangent, since you brought up Bryce Mitchell, dude, what do you think about him? Because like I've been talking about like for like this whole year and even prior that this style of these guys coming up now that just can shoot takedown after takedown after takedown, they're such matchup problems like Morales Vili, Bryce Mitchell, uh, even this new kid, Nick Maximoff, uh, on a, on a higher level, Bilal Muhammad, Islam Makhachev, like because, you know, you defend the first few takedowns and these guys are not discouraged one bit. They're still shooting and shooting, and shooting. That kind of style is going to break a lot of people, Chaz. Yeah, I wouldn't put Nick Maximov on that level just yet. I would uh, wait until he fights somebody with decent takedown defense and he misses a few takedowns to see if he can persevere. Because to me, he looks uh, like a guy that's going to gas a little bit. Uh, once he misses those takedowns, he's going to have some trouble. Um, 
not saying he's not a great fighter. He he is. You know, hey, he's, but, he's a good uh, young. Was an all American wrestler. He just did that too. Yeah, uh, who did he fight? Who was it? Uh, Cody Brunage and Puna. But I get what you're saying. As he goes to the higher level, maybe he'll he'll struggle a little bit more. But at least yeah, those two so, guys are credentialed wrestlers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's you know, I just to me when I watch him fight, I just I'm not putting him on that level just yet. I, I think I think he's he's an excellent fighter, but I'd like to see him. I'd like to see him go up through the ranks a little bit and see what he can do. But Bryce Mitchell, he's a problem. He's a problem for a lot of people. I mean, he's done a good job at improving his wrestling uh, throughout his career, you know, to where his shots, his double legs actually look like a wrestler shooting in there. You know, he shoots a double and then he'll chain tra- chain wrestle a little bit and get the takedown, which is awesome. Uh, I actually, I, I wanted to fight Bryce Mitchell. I thought it would be a cool fight. You know, I mean, I always that that's a fight that I would love to have just because so grappling heavy and and I think it'd be just fun. But he uh I think he's excellent, man. I think he's an excellent fighter. I think he's he just he poses so many problems for so many people at this featherweight division that uh I love his top game. I love how he goes to the head and arm for control. He's got a good like head and arm control base. And uh like if you watch his fight against Rosa you know, to maintain control and settle the hips and settle the position. He kept going to that head and arm and then working off of that. And that's something that I actually started kind of doing in training a little bit after I watched that, just because I thought, I was like, man, that's a good. Uh, I like that solid base. Cause I, I tend to go over the head and kind of hold like almost a guillotine position and trap and start like posting out on the arm where he's going arm across and kind of getting that position and making people. F- Cause once you get that position, people know that you're going to try and push, push down and come across with you cut across with your knees. So they tend to flatten their hips to try and get that back over. So it's a good control position. Cause once they flatten their hips, now you got your shoulder pressure on their chin, they flatten their hips. You slide up to the chin, shoulder pressure, push down the push down the leg. Now you're in three quarter mount easy. So to me, uh, I think he's got a solid, solid game. He looks really good. He's improved his striking a ton, man. I, I think that guy's got a bright future. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him fight more. Definitely, and he's yeah. representing for the for the country folks out there. Let's <laughs> yeah. go. Let's so, go. Sodik Yusuf called him out, so I really hope that fight happens. Two of my favorite. Oh man, I hope that I hope that fight happens too. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a good matchup. Great one. Great matchup. So everybody watching this live, do us a huge favor, smash that like button. Now, next up. In the heavyweight division, we got a matchup between Jerzinho, Rosenstruck. He's 12 and 3, taking on Marcin Tybora, who is 22 and 7. And currently, they got it. Jerzinho, Rosenstruck, minus 150. The comeback on Tybora is plus 130. So the line really hasn't budged. It's been about here all week long. And I mean, we know the dynamic of this fight. And even though I want, I don't want to see or say striker versus grappler, but I think it would behoove Marcin Tybora to get takedowns here. And Marcin Tybura can strike to it. I mean, I know you saw that head kick knockout he had back in the day. I know you've yeah. seen the striking. It's just in this specific matchup, it's probably better to go ahead and take the path of least resistance and take this dude down. But let me say something about Jerzino that I really respect, man. Look, the takedown defense might not be, you know, it might be a work in, in progress, but what I do like is when he gets taken down, 
he's very relaxed on the ground, man. I mean, he's not taking a lot of ground and pound. He's not giving up a lot of submission attempts. He's kind of just chilling inside control bottom. And when it's to explode and get back up, that's what he does. So I don't think it's going to be like a Greg Hardy situation where one takedown and the fight is over shortly after. I think that if Tybura takes him down, I do think that Jerzino can survive. It's just can Tybura get those takedowns every single round without getting clipped? That's what I don't see happening. So while I respect Tybura a lot, and while Jerzino might not have the best volume when he does decide to let things go, bodies tend to hit the ground, man, and Tybura has been rocked on several occasions. So I'm going to go with the slight favorite here, Jerzino Rosenstruck, to find the chin. And on a side note, on something completely irrelevant, um, last time Jerzino Rosenstruck fought in the Southeast, uh, he got a seven-second knockout. Now, I'm not going to he's about to repeat history here, but I, I'm going to go with Jerzino to, to find the chin here and get this one out of there. That was like a record, uh, wasn't it? I think he tied Todd Duffy. Remember when Todd Duffy beat Tim Haig back in the day? Oh yeah. Who was that guy that he was? I remember. I just watched that. I watched that. Oh, it was Alan Crowder. Alan Crowder. Alan Crowder. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I was there. It was in South Carolina. So I'm on the exact same page as you. I uh, Rosenstruck. That's a bet that I'm actually making. Nice. Uh, I think he wins this by knockout. To be honest, I think uh, when I watch Ty Burris past performances, he has a problem with heavy hitters. He gets he gets hit, and he has a problem with heavy hitters. And Rosenstruck is a heavy hitter. And one thing I like about Rosenstruck, if you watch, for okay, for instance, watch the first round of Rosenstruck versus uh, Curtis Blades. He gets taken down. He's relaxed. I think what he did was he controlled the wrist and he found the cage and he worked his way back up and kept control of the wrist and got to his feet and dug the underhook and, and separated. That shows a a lot for a kickboxer um, to be able to understand the dynamic of how to stand up. If you have a good and Curtis Blades in the heavyweight division is a premier wrestler. And he's great on top and he has great ground and pound. If you are somebody as a striker that understands that if I can control this wrist, if I if this guy doesn't have his hands locked, he can't find a way to I'm a big strong guy, I can dig this underhook, I can control this wrist, can't let him come back and lock his hands. I get up, find the cage, dig an underhook, separate if you understand that against the highest level of competition in the grappling form, wrestling form in the, in the UFC, if you've already understood that and already been able to get up from that, that shows a lot to me. And so I believe, I, I think exactly what you're thinking. I do think uh, Ty Burra is a little more well-rounded in the, in the sense that he can get takedowns and he has a good top game. He's got submissions. He can get submissions. He's got, you know, he can ground and pound, he can get takedowns, and he can strike also, but he has a hard time with the heavy hitters. I think he's going to be going wrestling early, so I'm going, uh, and you're going to think I'm crazy. I don't care. I'm betting uh, Rosenstruck, but I'm hedging my bet. Tybura, just a small amount, because I think it's like plus 1,200, plus 1,500, something like that. Tybura by submission, 
I'm going to hedge it if because I feel like if Rosenstruck makes a mistake when he's standing up and gives his back for a second, I think Tybura could, could possibly jump on something there. I'm not hedging it as in like I'm going bit. I'm just going, I'm going, I'm betting Rosenstruck and I'm putting a tiny, tiny, tiny hedge on submission. Tybura, if Tybura wins by decision, I'll be fucking pissed. You know, you know what you'll be even more fucking pissed by when Tybura wins by ground and pound TKO. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I just think I'm looking at when I'm looking at this and I see the way that Rosenstruck is on the ground, the way that he does a good job of mitigating damage. Uh, he's already fought somebody for three rounds that is a much better ground and pound guy, a much better wrestler, a much better top guy. Not necessarily any kind of submission threat, though. And Kurt, Curtis Blades are much of a submission threat in Curtis Blades. When I see that he's already fought that level of competition, he's already been there and he's done a good job at that. The only way that I can see him getting put out on the ground, unless he gets hurt on the feet and then he goes to the ground, he ends up getting as if uh, he makes a mistake while getting up and Ty Burra jumps on a submission. So that's what I'm doing. I mean, I wouldn't suggest putting anything on that submission thing to other people, prop to other people, but I'm doing it just to hedge a little bit. So now next up in the welterweight division, we got a matchup between Ian Gary and no taking on Darian Weeks, who is five and one. And currently they got Ian Gary minus three fifty. The comeback on Darion Weeks is plus three hundred. So listen, I got a lot to say about this one. Um Firstly, I respect the fact that Ian Gary got out of his comfort zone, left Ireland, moved to Florida in Sanford. I mean, that right there, that's some maturity to do something like that, especially this early on in his career. But Chaz, being a Sanford guy yourself, firstly, are you frozen, my man? Are you there? No, I was reading the comments. Okay, okay, I got you, got you. Yeah, yeah. So you uh, were you still, you know, had you moving yet when this guy uh, was starting to train at? at no, I was there. I was there when he came. I was there with him for a, a while. I mean, this whole last camp, I was there for seven, six, seven weeks. Uh, oh, great! And he was there the whole time. Yeah, super nice kid. Super, super. I, I, I like him a lot. Ian Gary is a good, good dude. He's uh, yeah, just a super, super nice kid. So. He, uh, my opinion on this fight is that when you have somebody that could potentially be a star, um, you're going to give them matchups that they should win. Um, and this is a matchup that he should win. Uh, do I think it's going to be some sort of crazy finish? No, I think, I think it's probably going to be a decision. I, I haven't been able to watch Weeks. As, I'm going to be honest. I I sat down to watch some of Weeks' film, and I got I got a couple calls for work and had to had to take care of that. So I didn't really get the opportunity to watch Weeks all that much. I watched one of his fights, and you know he looks good. He looks good. He's not he's not a can by any stretch of the means, but I just think when you got a good looking kid who's marketable who has a lot of skill, you're going to match them up their first several matchups. You're going to match them up in a way that they're going to win. 
I mean, you want to you want to build them a successful career because it's going to make money for your company. And that's what the UFC is doing. I feel like they're going to give him a few people that he should really, really win against before they give him somebody that's going to pose him a ton of threat. So I think Ian Gary's should take this fight. Yeah, listen, I actually sat down and watched both of their careers start to finish. And I got to say, super impressed with Gary. Now, for everybody who's only seen the UFC debut, I can understand why you'd maybe laugh at what I said. But let me just explain what I saw in his regional scene. Because you got to understand, those UFC debut, those UFC debuts, the lights, the pressure, Madison Square Garden, maybe he didn't have his best night, and he still got a first-round knockout. But I've seen this kid go out there, and his kicking game is seriously on point. The stance switching. He fights behind his jab. I've seen him go out there and takedowns. I've seen him get taken down, get back up from bottom. I've seen him go five rounds on this regional scene, which is a big deal against a guy with more than three times the experience as him. Um, I like this kid a lot. And people, uh, you know, he's, he's the hype train. He's this. Uh, you know, people are saying the next McGregor. Guys, let's not compare him to McGregor. Let's not. It's a different fighter altogether. Like, it's not. The only thing they got in common is they're both from Ireland. <laughs> so, and, and, you know, he does have some good pull counters and stuff like that. So, listen, I like this kid Gary a lot, man. And in addition to the offense stuff that we talked about, the kicks, the the punches, the takedowns, the but what about the kid's heart? And the kid's tough as hell. Like he's a real fighter. I've seen him go out there, get clipped with shots, keep fighting. And on his regional scene, I'm go out there, take down and knock out UFC vets, go the five round distance. And in his UFC debut, high pressure situation, he delivered, man. And now with Darion Weeks, I've watched his career as well. Listen, strong, athletic little bit of a wrestling background i mean we're not talking d1 or d2 or anything like that but you know he, he he's wrestled a little bit here and there he's got some good front kicks kind of throws his punches at a weird angle but people are putting a little bit too much stock into this brian barbarena fight i think that styles make fights and brian barbarena while we love brian barbarena we love watching that guy fight a true of the sport you just got to understand that brian barbarena is the kind of guy that goes to war with pretty much every single person he fights so that shouldn't really come as a surprise to you like brian brian barbarena is known for being that guy who will take that ass whooping up front and then when you're huffing and puffing from whooping him and he's not and he's still there, that's when he starts to take over. So it's not like Brian Barberena is known for these clean performances. Brian Barberena is just a, a gritty tooth and nail guy. And that's not what what uh, Ian Gary is. Now, I'm not saying, Ian, I, I said Ian Gary is tough as hell, but he's not that guy that's going to take that ass whooping up front. He's more clean. And I think that Darion Weeks, uh, I think he's in for a rude awakening in this fight, man. I think that uh, the price tag is justified on Ian Gary in the spot. Like you said, they're trying to give verbal matchups, and I understand why. I mean, listen to the kid talk and look at – don't just watch the Jordan Williams fight, which, by the way, ended in a beautiful knockout. Go on his whole career, man. I mean, this guy, when he gets you, uh, he gets you. And, and like I said at the beginning of my breakdown, the fact that a kid this young, he's 24 years old, he got out his comfort zone – got rid of the yes man, moved to the United States, and he's training at one of the best gyms in the world, if not the best gym in the world right the now. For an MMA. I mean, like, is that not what you want to see in a young up-and-coming prospect? So, 
I parlayed uh, Ian Gary with uh, the undisputed bantamweight champion Peter Yan, uh, and we'll talk about that fight later. And uh, yeah, and I think that's going to cash. Um, so that is my second bet of the night well, so far. My my parlay of the night. I parlayed. Uh, uh, what's the first? Jeez, I just Arce and Santos. Uh, Arce. I parlayed Arce and uh, Hernandez. Let's talk about Arce for a second because, look, obviously he's fought the the, the tougher strength of schedule, no questions asked, you know, established UFC vet. But dude, this kid Santos is no slouch, man. Did you watch his film? Like, and he's and he's only twenty seven now. The last footage you saw of him was when he was twenty four. You're going to be seeing big comes from a great team too. I mean, you think that, but you know what's uh, three years without competition. You know, you don't know what this guy's doing. You don't know that he's in the gym every day. You don't know he's working his wrestling. I mean, you don't know what he's doing. It's three years without competition. You look at Arce and you look at the people that he's fought. He hasn't fought slouches. And one thing that I did see in uh, – what what what's his opponent's name again? I forgot. Uh, Santos. Santos, yeah. One thing I saw about Santos in his last fight, the guy that he was fighting came out and threw – and the, the camera was just panning towards him, so you didn't see it real – the guy came out and threw a jab real quick, straight down the middle, and kind of almost sat him in a chair, right off the right off Jump Street. And to me, I'm looking at this fight as Arce is going to come out and he's going to keep his punches straight. He's going to jab him. He's gonna he's going to establish distance with his jab, and he's going to build off of his jab. He's not going to gas the last guy that that dude fought. He hit him with a spinning back kick to the liver caught him with that and then and then finishes him up but he wasn't winning the round he was losing the round to a guy that was just doing nothing more than establishing a jab keeping his punches straight and i think rsa does a really good job at that uh i think rsa does a really good job at staying straight establishing a jab having technical striking on his feet he's got good takedown defense you know, Santos has good tricky takedowns. He's got some knee taps in there and stuff like that. But, you know, to me, I I, I just see I see I see Arce um establishing a jab, establishing the distance, and controlling this fight completely with with striking, com- controlling the distance and and probably winning by TKO, in my opinion. I just don't see now Santos throws some spinning and flashy stuff, but you don't know what he's been doing in this last three years. Shit, he could have been training his ass off. Who knows? I don't know. I mean, he might be. He might be just in the gym grinding every day. But in my opinion, when you see somebody with a three-year layoff, that means a couple of things. Either one, they're doing something else. They're not training. Or two, they've had some injuries. Or, th- or, or three, all the fights that he had got canceled because of Corona. Well, yeah. I guess COVID. Yeah, I mean, I guess you forget about that. Yeah, I guess I forget about that. I guess, obviously, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I guess that's true. But I'm just seeing – I'm seeing RCA is coming in and, and controlling distance and really winning that just in a professional manner, uh, just looking looking good. I got you. So before we talk about the main card, I got to give a huge shout-out to our newest sponsor, DraftKings Sportsbook. So, guys – Two titles are up for grabs on the stacked UFC 273 fight card. Join the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the UFC. New customers can bet $5 
on any fighter and get $100 in free bets, win or lose, guaranteed. If the sportsbook isn't available in your state, you can still get in on the excitement. Everyone can play for a share of, of millions in prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy MMA Contest. Draft your lineup of fighters while staying under the salary cap and rack up points for strikes, takedowns, and more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So, guys, download the DraftKings Sportsbook <clears throat> app now. Use my promo code LEVY. You, that's my last name. You spell it like Levi Jeans. Throw down $5 on UFC 273 and get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's Code Levy this Saturday at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the UFC. Twenty, You got to be 21 and up, guys. Restrictions apply. And see uh, the show notes for details. Now, All right. So before we move on, thank you, uh, Robot Chicken Wings. Hey, that was a solid bet, bro. You know, I was telling everybody and their mother to bet me by TKO before the fight. I said, you know, I'm going to wear this guy down in the first round. In the second round, I'm going to come out and TKO him. So, good, solid bet. Uh, 420 MMA. You're the man, too. Love that guy. And then uh, when I was – when I, when you were like, are you frozen? And I was reading this. You know what that reminded me of? What? Just something funny. Have you guys ever seen that thing with uh, one of the Kardashians? I think it was like Courtney Kardashian or something. She was doing an interview, and she's on like a Skype interview oh, with yeah. some news company. And they asked her a question that she wasn't supposed to answer. And she was just like, <laughs> she's like, she's acting frozen. They're like, I think that she's frozen. And the guy was like, but she's blinking. And she's just like, <laughs> that was me. I was just acting frozen because I didn't know the answer to the questions. <laughs> that's hilarious, man. Yeah. I remember I saw that recently. I thought it, I thought it was great. Like that's, that's some nice damage control there. Just yeah. ignore it completely. So act frozen, act frozen. Yeah. From now on, you don't want to answer the question. Act frozen. So <laughs> we're learning. We're learning lessons here too, man. We're not just talking bed and fights. We're learning uh, PR, uh, some PR tips as well. That's right. Now let's break down this main card, my man, because kicking it off in the lightweight division, we got a match between Vince Pichel, Vince from Hell Pichel. He's 14 and two, taking on Mark O. Madsen, the former Olympian who is 11 and 0. And currently, they got it. Vince Pichel minus 125. The comeback on Marco Madsen is plus 105. So, I mean, I remember watching Vince Pichel back on the Ultimate Fighter live, the only ever Ultimate Fighter that was live. Same season as Vic, Kiesa, Ayakinta, Miles Jury. Drew Dober didn't even make the house. That's how, dude, like that was a serious ass season. And to this day, I think it was the best one ever. Um, so what I love about this guy, Vince Pichel, is that it might not look the prettiest, Chas Kelly. You know, uh, it might not, I don't want to say he's not the most technical. It, it might not, it might not be the prettiest fight, but if if you start to gas out on a guy like Vince Pichel, he will tee off on you. But on the flip side with the Olympian, what I love about him is that what's interesting is he's 37 years old. Now, Vince Pichel is 39 years old, but Mark Madsen's a guy who be kind of a baby in MMA, man. Like, so every single time you see him, you're going to be seeing these big leaps every single time. And so far, when you look at the numbers he's put up, I've been impressed. I've seen this guy go out there and land eight takedowns in a UFC fight. And then I've seen him go out there and land a hundred significant strikes. 
and he's training at Fight Ready, which I think is one of the other best gyms in the world. And the strength and conditioning program they got over there, the Neuro Force One, uh, it's something that the it's something different, man. I mean, they test every single level. They know the numbers of of intricacies that I don't even know. I, I wouldn't even know the half of uh, the kind of tests they're doing on their fighters there. And I think you're going to be seeing these incremental improvements in Mark Madsen every single time. So I actually took Mark Madsen at plus 118. I beat that line. It's looking like it's trending back towards a pick which is what I think the true line should be. I see this as a pick fight. I see Mark Madsen coming out here having that takedown success in that first round. I mean, I saw guys like Austin Hubbard, who all due respect, UFC fighter, but doesn't have anywhere near the wrestling credentials as a guy like Mark Madsen score four takedowns in their fight. And I've seen the higher level wrestlers like the Gregor Gillespie's actually be able to hold down a guy like Vince. It's just if you gas out a guy against a guy like Vince, that's where he takes over. Mark has gassed as fights go on, but I kind of feel like that Austin Hubbard fight from for Madsen. Sometimes you gas out from whooping a dude's ass when you take someone down eight times, still there, not discouraged. I mean, you know, you're going to fade from time to time, but he banked those first two rounds. And in the Guida fight, he actually stood up all three rounds. And if you look at the numbers, his output actually got better as the fight progressed. So I feel like we're seeing improvements from Mark Madsen, whereas with Vince, I love Vince. I've been a fan a long-ass time, but I think we're starting to see, I don't want to say he's peaked out, but we know what to expect from Vince Pichel, whereas I'm expecting improvements from Mark Madsen. And I think we're going to see Mark Madsen come out here and secure these first two rounds and win this decision. So I took the dog odds on what I think should be a pick em fight. So give me Mark Madsen for the win here. I absolutely think this should be a pick em fight. This is a tough one. Uh, so on this card, there's actually a lot of fights that are like kind of tough fights that have a lot of different um, variables. So with this one, Vince Pichel is a just a motherfucker in there. You know, I mean, his takedown defense isn't very good. You know, he doesn't have the greatest takedown defense, but he's a uh, go get it. He doesn't have the greatest takedown defense, but if you watch his fights, man, he just he doesn't stop. He doesn't concede position. He continues the fight. He fights his way through. And if you look at his record, I mean, look, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but I know that he's only lost one fight in the last however many fights and he's been fighting good guys. I mean, he beat Jim Miller, you know what I mean? He's been fighting good, solid competition. So having said that, I like Marco Madsen. That's, that's my pick for the fight. Um, Marco Madsen to me showed a lot with his cardio in the Clay Guida fight. I mean, do I think that he won that fight? It was a close fight. It was a close fight. I bet on him, so I'm glad he won. But it was a close fight. I, I, if I said I wasn't nervous, I'd be lying. Um, the thing is, Vince Pichel, he doesn't concede position. He doesn't stop. You know, he continues to fight throughout the fight, and he's a grimy guy. Would it surprise me if Vince Pichel comes out and just, you know, absolutely kind of surprises us with just not conceding position? If he get when he gets taken down, just continuing the motion, ending up on top and 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 winning a decision, losing the first round, but coming back in the second and third and and winning a decision. No, it wouldn't surprise me. But 
I'm on Marco Madsen here. I, I just think that the wrestling discrepancy is too big. And I think that Marco Madsen showed, has shown that his striking is competent enough to where he can stand and strike. <laughs> o is for old. O is for overrated. <laughs> o is for out of gas. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Uh, I think that he's shown enough to where he can stand there and and strike and do a good job at striking and get into his get into his takedowns. Now, of course, he's a body lock guy. Vince Michelle's probably a lot more top strong. He's a, he's a he's a Roman Greco guy. So Vince Michelle's obviously a lot more top strong. He's got a, a better uh, clinch than he does a takedown, just straight takedown defense. But I, my pick is Marco Madsen. I am avoiding this bet completely. 100% not betting on that because I just think that Vince Pichel is too much of a dog. He's too grimy in there. And when you look at the Austin Hubbard fight, yeah, yeah, he, he gassed himself kicking some ass. But at the same time, if you gas yourself kicking some ass against a guy like uh, – uh, sorry – if you if you gas yourself kicking some ass in this fight, you know Vince Pichel is going to come back and and uh, it's going to bite you in the ass. So, to me, I'm I'm not I'm not betting it. But I do like Marco Matson. If you are betting it and you bet Marco Matson, I don't think it's a bad bet. But I'm avoiding it just because I'm scared. I'm scared of Vince Pichel and I've lost money on him a couple times in the past, and he's proving me wrong and I will take my place just I'll eat crow and I'm not going to do it again listen if it's truly a pick em fight like people say then I got the best of it and that's we're, yeah we're, we're it is a pick em fight it's, it's a pick em fight it's a pick em fight it should be in my opinion there's no way it shouldn't be yeah so no. where, where you're at if I if I got Marco Madsen at plus money I mean I'm I'm going to smash that line but I, you know, I didn't, so <laughs> I'm avoiding it. Now, next up in the strawweight division, we got a showdown between Mackenzie Dern. She's 11 and two, taking on Tisha Torres, who is 13 and five. And currently, they got it. Mackenzie Dern, well, it just depends where you look. I see some places where it's a minus 110 a piece pick them, but then I also see some Mackenzie Dern slight leans on her minus 120. Come back on Torres is plus 100. Now, this one, again, not, not to speak in such black and white terms, but we know the dynamic here on the feed. I do think that Tisha Torres, just the volume edge, her distance, the sidekicks. I mean, she's been training. She's been doing this shit a long-ass time, man. She's been in there with all the best. She's got wins over some serious competition. I mean, you know she beat Rose Namajunas back in the day amongst others, right? Like, she's she's, yeah. been, she's been there, done that. It's just with Mackenzie Dern, even though she doesn't really actively go for takedowns, and since she's been training with um, with uh, Jason Perillo, she's really fallen in love with her hands, which she actually does have, you know, for that weight class of standards, she does have some nice little pop to her punches. They might not look the prettiest, but once she lands, people definitely feel it's just that is one of these sidekicks going to get cut? You know, one of these Tisha Torres going to get caught by Mackenzie Dern because I feel like one down in the fight could be over shortly after. His speaking, Tisha has struggled on the mat, and I've seen, 
I don't want to see. I've seen lesser people take her down because the people that have taken her taken her down, like for example, the karate hottie. Karate hottie hits that judo throw on pretty much everyone she fights, right? Whereas Mackenzie Dern, not really known for her takedowns, it's just that jujitsu game is so elite that one bad spot, one scramble, one uh one submission attempt, and it could be over. So this one's tougher, man. What are you thinking? Yeah. Uh so this could play out in two different ways. Number one, Tisha Torres could do what she should do and dance around the octagon and, and out, out volume her and um, win this by a decision. What I see happening, I, I do think Mackenzie Dern gets a hold of her a few times. And I just think that Mackenzie Dern is a step above the competition in that weight class at in grappling. So, I, I say when when it goes to the mat, obviously Mackenzie Dern has a huge edge, I think. Tisha Torres, though, has been in there with the best competition. She she has good footwork, she has good volume, and she's a smart fighter. I you know, as far as the takedown defense, I don't geez, I just can't. I watched I watched some of the film, but now I'm thinking back on it, I can't remember so much. I know that Tisha Torres is a good wrestler. I just think that Mackenzie Dern is going to win. I'm not betting this one either. Uh, I'm not going to, I'm not betting this one because I feel like there's a very big possibility that Tisha Torres can dance around and avoid the takedowns and, and out volume striking out pointer. But I just see Mackenzie Dern get, getting a hold of her and getting her to the mat and uh, possibly even finish it by submission. But Mackenzie Dern winning this fight uh, through grappling. So I, yeah. I do like the, I, I, if I, if I'm drinking on Saturday night <laughs> and this fight's about to come up, I'm probably going to pop Mackenzie Dern sub, sub prop. <laughs> no, it's like, it's, it's probably inevitable. I should just do it now and save myself the freaking, you know, save myself the heartache later. But, I just think I think Mackenzie Dern is a step above everybody else when it comes to the grappling in this in this uh, in this weight class and amongst women in general. So, yeah, I like Dern. Uh, Chris Lau says Dern via sub is plus two fifty. Is there is there any truth to that? Um, Let me say this, Chaz. What if you took Dern by sub and by decision? Well, I I don't uh, I don't think that's a bad I don't necessarily think that's a bad bet except for the fact that if Dern can take her down and and just can't submit her, you know that's kind of a one of yeah, those deals. That, it's like <laughs> now you're losing double money. I just think it's uh, so true, Chaz. Like uh, I keep talking about this like every episode of the show. So when I bet Francis and Ganu at like plus one thirty odds against uh, Gan. Everybody gave me so much shit like, oh, fuck, don't you just bet him uh, by KO? Do you know how pissed off I would have been if I bet Francis by KO instead of just betting him at dog money? <laughs> like, you know what I'm Dude, saying? I did the same thing. I did the same thing. I bet him. I just bet him uh, straight up because I said, I was like, man, do I think he's going to get a KO? Maybe. But the thing is, with Francis at dog money, 
why why put i mean he's dog money you're talking about the current champ already he's at dog money already just bet don't be don't be uh greedy don't don't go out there and try and grab i mean that that adds a whole nother element there's a reason that those prop bets are you know the, the lines are so skewed you know what i mean it's because like this is fighting anything can happen you get the guy that you think is going to win no matter what you think he's going to win you think he's going to win at dog money fucking slam that especially if you're confident in it i mean there's no point in putting putting money well i say that i did put like 50 dollars on him by knockout just because i wanted to be like you talking about i put 50 dollars <laughs> well, you still came out on because oh yeah yeah yeah, okay. yeah no i bet i put i put a good amount on naganyu to win uh at dog money i that's that was a that was one of my biggest bets on that Hell yeah. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I, know. I, I agree, Andy. Yeah, thanks, Andy. So now it's time for what everybody's been waiting for. Featured bout in the welterweight division. We got the number two ranked welterweight, Gilbert Durino Burns. He's 20 and 4, taking on Hamzat Chimaev, who is 10 and 0. And currently they got it. Just depends where you look. Uh, but I think like the best price right now is Hamza minus 500. The comeback on Gilbert Burns is plus 425. Everybody, all 100 uh, listeners uh, or viewers watching this right now, smash that like button. And if you haven't subscribed to the channel yet, do me a huge favor and smash that subscribe button. Truly appreciate it. Uh, Chaz, listen, I'm going to let you go first. You're the one that's got the experience training with Gilbert Burns. What's your opinion on this? Man, hold on. Let me, I got to pull up a. I got to tell you, it's my man. It's my man, G. Burns. It's Hell yeah. Gilbert. You know, I uh, obviously Gilbert's a friend of mine, training partner. You know, I've known Gilbert for a long time. Ever since I moved to Florida, he was with Black Zillions and then Sanford MMA. Um, I just, at this at this money, I, I just can't pass on putting a bet on Gilbert here. Uh, I look at this like Gilbert is absolutely one of the best welterweights in the entire world. He had uh, Kamaru on skates. He beat Thompson. Uh, you know, he's one of the best grapplers in the entire world. You're talking about a guy in Chemayev that um, what he got like bronze or something in Sweden wrestling. And you're talking about a guy in Gilbert that is one of the world's best jujitsu practitioners. Having said that Gilbert has also had the opportunity to work with some of the best wrestlers in the entire world and in, in Kamaru in Logan Storley and whoever, whoever else he's got. Gilbert's not going to, Chimaev, even even if he does get the takedowns, I believe that Gilbert's going to be able to continue to get up or sweep off his back. I don't think Gilbert's going to try and really necessarily like push for submissions off his back. I think he's going to look to get up, sweep, you know, continue continue the fight. But we're we're talking about a guy in Chimaev that we haven't seen get pushed cardio wise. We haven't seen him had his have his chin checked yet. We haven't seen him fight a guy who has amazing jujitsu 
We haven't seen him fight a guy who has good wrestling. We've seen him fight guys that are not good grapplers. And the one good grappler he did fight, he caught him with a with a straight punch right out of the gate and finished him. I cannot. I, I cannot uh, not put some money on Gilbert. I got Gilbert Burns for the win. You know, I'm, everybody knows I'm biased towards Gilbert. He's, he's a friend of mine. But just looking at this from an outside standpoint, you know, I just see it as a fight where there's two world-class athletes, but one guy's accolades far exceed the other guy's accolades in their sport, both grappling sports. And – Gilbert's got pop. I just, I gotta, I gotta go Gilbert. Listen, I understand where you're coming from. You see a number like plus four something on a world class, on the number two guy on planet earth, knockout power in both hands, world-class jujitsu can mix in the takedowns as well. Um, I mean, I, I get where you're coming from and I respect it. Uh, but man, I, I think that, the whole thing about, oh, he hasn't fought anybody and this and that. Listen, all our favorite fighters had never fought anybody until they fought somebody. So that's to me. It's just about rising to the occasion. And, and I do think this guy, Chimaev, has the goods. Now, I could be I could be dead wrong. Maybe uh, he becomes a busted hype train or something like that. I don't think so, man. I, I think that, you know, may, I think I see something special in this guy. Uh, I've seen, firstly... If you actually look at his regional scene, like some of the guys he was fighting there were legit. I mean, he beat yeah. a guy yeah. by brutal knockout who's now like a 12 and 1 Russian, the one to Chemayev. And he comes into the UFC and, like, I get it. Like, yeah, we've seen Gerald Mears fights. Yeah, we've seen Li Jing Liang lose fights. But, like, who the fuck has ever handled both those guys like that? The confidence is just on a different level. Then you take into consideration the size difference. Gilbert, even though he could never make 55 again, he still is a former 55er. Hamza would have to cut off a leg 55. And you saw that wrestling match between Hamza and uh, Jack Hermanson. Now I get it. Wrestling and MMA are two different sports. But that's not the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is that when Hamza can go out there and actually take down a guy who's known for, I mean, Jack or Manson, you see some of the shit he's done in the octagon when he takes guys down or some of his opportunistic submissions, like Jack or Manson can grapple. Hamza went out there, landed like eight takedowns on him, man. I, I think that we're dealing with special. Like I get that he hasn't proven it against a top five guy yet, but I think he proves it against a top five guy this weekend, man. Um, and it's all due respect to Burns. I got nothing bad to say about Burns. I think Burns is an absolute stud. And, yeah, it would be cool seeing you cash a plus 400 and to see your buddy win. But I got to go with Chimaev here, man. I think that the hype is real. I think that this guy is special. And I think that he is going to be challenging for a title later on this year. So I actually do think, though, that he's going to come out here with more of a striking approach. Um, I think that if he takes Gilbert down and if Gilbert's able to retain his guard... I kind of think Hamzat's going to stand up, make him get up. But if Hamzat takes him down, is able to pass to side control, that's where I think Hamzat will feel a little bit more comfortable working on the mat. Like, I don't think he's an idiot either. I think he he knows what kind of world-class jiu-jitsu practitioner Gilbert Burns is. And at some point, like, I do think that Gilbert Burns, you know, is going to get a little tired. He's going to start flopping to his back. And that's where I think the beginning of the end is going to be, man. So I have to go with Hamzat Chimaev here. And I know this might sound crazy to some, but I actually think that he um, he justifies his price tag 
this weekend and makes a statement and makes people like, oh, so this is that might be the one to dethrone the great Kamara Usman. Like when I think of Gilbert Burns, I think of a top 10 guy. I think of a top five guy. I think of a world-class guy. But when I think of Hamza and I could be way off, you know, maybe you guys are going to take this clip. If he gets knocked out this weekend, make me look like an idiot. It's all good. But when I, when I think of Hamza, like I think of like maybe a future champ. So it remains to be seen, obviously, but you know, you got to take these leaps of faith uh, sometimes, man. I mean, like, again, if you watch him, I mean, you got to recognize the talent and the size for the weight class and the intensity. And apparently the dude's work ethic is second to none. Like you hear a guy like Peter talk and Peter Yans, I think is one of the not only hardest workers, one of the most intense guys in the sport. Peter Yan, he did a little training with Hamza in Thailand. They asked him, like, what's the thing that stood out most? He didn't talk about the wrestling. He didn't talk about the striking. He didn't talk about the size. He talked about this kid's work ethic. So with all this hype, this kid's already got, like, what, 3.5 million followers on Instagram? He's the most talked about guy, and apparently his work ethic is true. Is, off the charts and we're on the street i know the gym's different than the than the actual octagon but we're on the street as this guy was out here knocking out guys like gustafson who's a former 205er and a former heavyweight you know in, in the gym so he I, I think this i think we're just dealing with a different beast it's no disrespect to i think he's an amazing fighter i, I just think it's hamzat's time and i think he's uh, I, I think i'd be that guy um to quote jock peterson a former braves player um he might just be that motherfucker. So I'm going to go with Hamza Chimaev to win this fight and win so impressively. Jock Peterson, did he played for the Dodgers too, right? Yeah. This shit. So Jock Peterson wins the World Series with the Dodgers. Next year, wins the World Series with the Braves. And now uh, he went to San Francisco. If he can fucking three-peat it with three different teams. Well, that's not going to happen. I know, because the Braves are going to win. Hey, real quick. Are you a Texas Rangers fan? Yeah, of course. Dude. I'm also a Braves I'm also a Braves fan, though. Okay, that's what's up, Chad. So my grandma, so when I was growing up, uh, I, I grew up in Pennsylvania before we moved to Texas. And uh, I used to, my, my grandma was a huge baseball fan. She used to watch me when I was little. So on public TV, all, all that there was, there were the Braves and there were uh, the Cubs. So we always watched the Braves and the Cubs. My grandma was a huge Braves fan. And so... I was uh I was a Braves fan too. So I've been a Braves fan before I was ever a Texas Rangers fan. Um and so always growing up I was like, uh, you know, I, I got to see through the the pitching era of like Maddox and all them and Glavin and just uh the Braves killing it with their pitching and then you know when the Chipper Jones was there and stuff and so it was like that was my first real baseball team that I loved was the Braves, but then, then we moved to Texas, started going to Rangers game. So big Rangers fan now, still a Braves fan, but big, big, big Rangers fan. Yeah. Hell yeah. And we don't want to bore everyone with the baseball talk, but I will say, Hey, y'all got Seager. Y'all got Simeon. Y'all got Cole Calhoun this year. I think the Rangers are making some big moves. So we look they forward are. to playing y'all. We need to, we need to make some moves in pitching, but Hey, who's, who's raw torque. Fuck the blue Jays. Yeah, fuck the Blue Jays. They gave us our toughest run last year, but we still won it all, so it's all good. Now, co-main event of the – oh, go ahead. On, except for Vlad be, because uh, he's on my fantasy baseball team. Uh, <laughs> in my team name, my team name is uh, Vladdy Issues. Yeah, oh, I like that. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Anyways, go ahead. <laughs> Co-main event of the evening for the undisputed bantamweight title. We got, in my opinion, the undisputed champ, Piotr Yanni, 16 and 2. But between you and me, Chaz, he's actually 18 and 0 because the first fight he lost, <laughs> he got a point deducted because of a headbutt, and he still would have it would have been a draw, but the Russian promotion he was in wanted wanted a winner, so they actually deducted another point and gave him a loss. And then his other loss was the Aljamain Sterling fight. So as far as I'm concerned, he's 18 and 0. He beat all 18 guys he's fought, taking on the the number one contender, in my opinion, Aljamain Sterling, who is it says 20 and 3, but between us, he's 19 and 4. And currently they got it. Piotr Yan minus 450. The comeback on Aljamain Sterling is plus 375. So again, guys, I know I know you all have seen my controversial tweets about this fight and stuff, but you got to understand I got a lot of respect for Aljamain Sterling, and I think that he's the clear-cut number one contender in this division. Obviously, when he takes guys' backs, I mean he calls himself the human and and on the feet, he's got ridiculous volume. Um, it, it's just that my issue with Sterling that he's such a fantastic hammer but when it you know it's, it's like that famous floyd mayweather quote you know it's one thing to it's one thing to give it but can you take it too and i just don't like what i see when it's Aljamain's turn to receive uh you know the damage like you go back in the day to that brian caraway fight where i laid plus 350 on brian caraway to beat sterling first round sterling backpacks him sterling's owning him but second and third round, Brian put him on, put it on him, and this has been a story throughout his career. Like a lot of these guys have not been able to capitalize. Like for example, you look at the Pedro Munoz fight. Aljamain Sterling's putting up ridiculous numbers those first two rounds, but by the time that third round rolled around, Pedro Munoz is hurting him with those with that stabbing front kick to the body, and it seemed like he was starting to break uh, Aljamain in that in that fight. Had there been two more rounds, who knows what would have happened? But with a guy like Piotr Yan, who He's a master of making reads and on-the-fly adjustments. And you start to slow down on a guy like Piotr Yan, and he's going to absolutely tee off on you in a way where, I mean, people like to think about him as like a boxer for MMA standards. I mean, I think of him as a completely well-rounded individual. I mean, we saw him go out there. Everyone talked about the takedowns. Aljo went like one, like however many Peter went like seven for seven. Like Piotr absolutely Yan, well-rounded. Piotr, absolutely well-rounded. Dude, yeah. his trip takedowns uh, are disgusting. And also, like, yeah, we can talk about his boxing, his shell game. But like, what about those? What about him going out there throwing like spinning hook kicks against Corey Sanhagen? Like, he's got the whole plus to take it a step further. This guy is a dog. Guy has the heart of a lion. Like, you can hit him with everything, and as long as he's conscious. He's going to keep walking you down. And the thing that's great about him is that I know he gets off to what people consider slow starts, but I don't know if that's really the case. It's more so like he's walking you down. He's kind of forcing you to throw everything at him to the point where you're like, and this guy's still coming forward. And that's when he really puts it on people. And he's landed, uh, someone correct me on the stat, but isn't it like, 10 knockdowns in 10 fights or nine knockdowns in 10 fights. Like people don't just do that, especially in the band division. I think this guy is the undisputed champ. We'll talk about 
oh, Aljo, you know, he's in the best shape of his life. Firstly, Aljo is always in great shape. So let's not sit here and act like this guy showed up soft or something for that last fight. Dude's always in shape. It, it, it's just those things where if we talk about the adjustments Aljo's going to make. How about we talk about the adjustments Peter's going to make? Peter is the master of adjustments. And just because, you know, Peter likes to come out kind of slow, make his reads, he's had three and a half rounds with Aljo already. So I kind of think he's made his reads and I think he's going to come out here uh, and push a faster pace this time. And when Aljo starts slowing down, man, that's when uh, I think, I think we're going to see a knockout this time. Listen, I've seen so many examples where like the first fight goes, well, this one didn't go five rounds, but it still went like three and a half. It went into the fourth round where one fight goes this way. The next fight goes a different way. Like you look at like, Rose and Wiley. First time was a first round knockout. Next time was a five round war. You look at Pettis and Benson. First time was a five round war. Next time was a first round finish. You look at Cowboy and Benson. Same shit. You look at Machida and Shogun. Like, no two fights are alike. And I think that despite Aljo coming in the best shape of his life, which I think he always does, by the way, and despite any kind of changes Sterling's made, I think Yan is the actual master of making these adjustments, and I think that he's going to come out here. I think he's got something for Aljo this time. So as long as he doesn't like get choked out in the first round or, I guess, worst-case scenario, gets off to such a slow start that maybe feeling steals these first three rounds, I just don't see that kind of shit happening. I think that Piotr Yan is going to come out here, and I think he's got a better feel for Aljo this time. And I think he's going to put him away in devastating fashion. So I took Piotr Yan and I parlayed him with Ian Gary. Um, I want to say and still, but unfortunately, thing and new. So and new, uh, Piotr Yan. Let's go unify this belt, buddy. So um, yeah, I'm. Uh, I, I think that uh, Yan is the unfortunate. I mean, I like I like Sterling. You know, I mean, I, I've been a fan of his fighting for a long time, and and I really think he's a very talented guy, and and he belongs where he's at. Um, but I, so my biggest thing is, I agree one hundred percent with what you said. I just think Yan comes out initially, and he he makes a lot of reads. He doesn't necessarily start off slow. He makes a lot of reads. A I mean, lot he's, of reads. he's reading. He's looking, he's seeing, he's he's feeling out his guy, his opponent, and then uh, he starts picking up the pace in the midway through the second to the third and the fourth and the fifth round. And in his three-round fights, obviously, you know, beginning of the second, he, he'll start, start picking it up. But I just feel like that since they've already had ring time and with the emotions going in, I feel like that he's going to start a little faster. I think he's going to cl- connect a little more in the first. One thing that's tricky about Aljo is those the kicks that he throws on his feet, striking. He throws a lot of unorthodox kicks, man. He, he's he's got a different style, and that's something that you don't see from a lot of guys. You don't see those side kicks and those those uh those teeps that come up to your chin. You know those front kicks, those side kicks, a lot of stuff like that. You know those uh, teeps to the body. Those can. Those can be t- tough to get past and tough to read initially, but then when you kind of get a feel for it, you kind of get a vibe for it and see where it's coming, and and, and you can start parrying those and, and countering off of those. It becomes an easier fight, but you got to crowd those. And so I think that what Jan is going to do right off this fight, I think he's going to really start by crowding Aljo um, 
and I think he's going to start. He's going to get off a little earlier than he did last fight. I do see Jan winning this fight, and I do see him winning it probably by TKO. I think he's going to get off a little earlier, and I think he's going to probably end up finishing this fight. You know, it's unfortunate, but I think I think Aljo's going to look for some take some more takedowns than he did, and he's gonna he's gonna try and he's gonna push hard for some takedowns early, and I think he might end up uh, gas himself out a little bit. And I think uh, Jan's going to capitalize on that. So I got Jan by TKO. Main event of the evening for the undisputed featherweight championship of the world. We got the champion, Alexander Volkanovsky. He's 23-1, and one, looking to extend his win streak to 21 wins in a row, Chas Kelly, taking on one of the most exciting fighters, not just in the featherweight division, but in the history of the sport in the Korean zombie who is 17 and six. And currently they got it. Alexander Volkanovsky minus 800. <laughs> the comeback on the Korean zombies plus 500, man. I missed the days when I could get Volk at like plus 125 against Aldo or plus 160 against max. Now I got to lay minus 800. I mean, listen, man, I, I think that Volk has the most world-class fainting game in all of MMA. I mean, that fight he had with Jose Aldo in Brazil, like when you get a guy like Jose Aldo gun-shy to throw because he has literally no clue what the hell is about to come at him, I mean, that fainting game is so elite. Like I said, we can talk about the calf kicks from Volk. We can talk about the big punches, the entries to the takedowns, how he combines all the elements of, of mixed martial arts, but like, it's the fainting game for me that just really stands out by from Volk, and I think he does it better than anybody, possibly in the E. And when Chad Sung Jung, I mean, when you talk about some of the most exciting fights in the history of the sport, man, when you talk about a guy like that first Leonard Garcia fight to this day is my favorite fight of all time. And then you look at his second Leonard Garcia fight, first twister in UFC history. Then he goes out there against Mark Hominick, who was coming off a five-round war with Jose Aldo, knocks him out in seven seconds. Then he goes out there in a main event with Dustin Poirier, puts on an MMA clinic, and Darce chokes him. Uh, had his, his title fight with Jose Aldo where he actually lost via injury, but up until that point, even though he was losing, he put up a more competitive fight against Aldo than a lot of people did at the time. Yeah. And, act, and actually, one thing about that fight is, you know how people like lately – uh, were criticizing Jose Aldo for not kicking as much. Well, the reason why is because in that Korean zombie fight, Korean zombie, he was switching his stances. He actually switched to southpaw. And Aldo, you know the, you know the deal with an orthodox guy kicking a southpaw? Actually, his foot uh, kicking Korean zombie. And from that point on, there was a little period there where Aldo was hesitant to throw kicks for a while. But anyways, he had to take four years off because of... Um, you know, his military service comes back, knocks out Bermudas, has a fight of the year against Yair, which, I mean, you would have won, you know, had it not been, uh, had he not gotten caught at the last second. I mean, then he goes out there, knocks out Hinata Moicano in under a minute, knocks out Frankie in devastating fashion. The Ortega fight, man, he got caught with that spin and just didn't recover. Um, So props to Ortega, but then he bounces back with a nice Ige win. And now here he is challenging for the, for the undisputed featherweight title against the champ Volk. Um, listen, man, I think that Zombie is a world-class fighter. Out of the underdogs, even though I, I, I'm talking about the top three fights, even though I think all three favorites win, I actually think that 
Chan Sung Jung might have the best chance. Like, like again, guys, when I say that, don't take what I said out of context. I'm, I still think Volk wins. I think that fainting game is just it confuses people, man. You don't know what he's gonna do, but Chan Sung Jung is a world class guy, man. Like, let's not forget that. So, listen, man, this is your weight class. How do you see this one going down? Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't actually see it being super competitive. Uh, I think that Volk wins. I think he comes out. I think he's uh, the far superior fighter here. I just, you know, I mean, no, I don't don't take anything away from Korean Zombie. I love I love watching the guy. I've been a fan for a long time. I, you know, like you said, everything. Like, man, he's fought some some great fights. He's fought some really tough competition. Uh, I actually bet him against Ortega. You know, I lost that, but I, I actually bet pretty heavy on him against Ortega. Got a ton of confidence in the guy. And uh, actually, he got knocked out on that card with uh, Yair. It was the same card I fought on that card. And so that was a one that I was watching that, and that was just a last-second deal, and he was winning that fight, you know. It's just tough. That's a tough loss, but – to me, I see Volk, like you said, his feints are just great. I see him, I see him working those feints, but also I see Volk uh, actually getting a couple takedowns and working some top game. And then, you know, once he gets a couple takedowns, I think his feints are going to really come into play. I think he's going to faint in the beginning, but I think he's going to actually shoot and get a takedown in the first. And then once he maintains that top position, I think that that's going to really change the dynamic of the fight. I think he's going to continue to faint, and I think he's going to land some big shots, and I got Vogue by uh, by finish, actually. Well, I will be in Jacksonville, so I know the crowd's going to erupt if that's the case. Chaz, man, before we get out of here, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So everybody watching, do us a huge favor. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Share, comment, retweet, all those things you guys do. Help the show out, obviously, and get the word out if you guys truly enjoyed tonight's episode. So without further ado, Chas Kelly, what is the fight to watch at UFC 273? I, In my opinion, the fight to watch is the very first fight of the card. I think it's going to be – I think it's going to be a barn Huh? Arce. Yeah, yeah. Arce versus Santos. I think it's going to be a barn burner. Uh, I think I think Arce is going to come out and do some good things, but I think Santos is going to put on a good show. I think he's going to throw some flashy stuff, and I think it's going to be a really fun fight to watch. If not that, I would say uh, the Fluffy versus uh, what? What's that guy's last name? Uh, Fremd. Anthony, huh? Josh Fremd. Fremd. Yeah, that's going to be a good one too. I think. I think I got Anthony Hernandez in that one because I think that Fremd is a very technical guy, but I think that he gets a little – he drops his right hand too much. Uh, and Tall man drops, defense. Huh? Tall man defense. Yeah. Yeah, he drops his right hand too much. He gets caught with left hooks. I, I could see Anthony Hernandez catch him with a good left hook, but I also could see Anthony Hernandez grinding that one out because he's a – Mexican grinder, and he is this the type of guy he's going to go for takedowns. He's going to go for takedowns. He's eventually going to land one. I don't think he'll land one right away. I think he'll eventually land one, but I think the second and third round, he might get beat in the first round, but the second and third round, I think he comes back and wins. 
I think that will be the fighter to watch. I think will be Anthony Hernandez. I think he's going to show some big things. The fight to watch, I think, will be Arce versus uh, Santos. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you about Arce and Santos. That's a hell of a way to kick things off. I mean, guys, I'm not trying to bore y'all and, and pick the co-main event between Piotr Yan and Sterling or Hamza and Burns, but, like, if for some stretch of the imagination, like, there's ridiculous traffic in Florida or something goes down and I have to miss all these fights and I can only catch two fights, the two fights I'm catching are Piotr Yan and Hamza Chimaev, period, point blank. Now, fighter to watch let's go with ian gary man um a lot of people are saying he's just hype and oh he just he's a wannabe mcgregor i disagree man i watched his entire career and like i said i, I i've been impressed with what i've seen from this kid he's not some front runner he's not some you know oh if he can't get you out of there he's just gonna fold up like i think he's actually a real fighter i think he's tough and like i said he got out his comfort zone with for a 24 year old kid like that takes a lot of accountability that takes a lot of maturity so i respect him a lot and he's got a lot of pressure on him to perform. So I want to see how he does perform under those bright lights with a full crowd in attendance. Uh, Ian Gary is my fighter to watch. Well, Chas Kelly, we did it. It's going down this Saturday night live in Jacksonville, Florida. Everybody going uh, to the fights, make sure you all hit me up. I'd love to meet all you guys there. You can follow Chaz at Chas Kelly on Instagram. Uh, any updates on getting that Twitter account back? No, nah, I, I, uh, so they hacked my Twitter account and then closed it. So I had Twitter close it down and I just haven't gotten back on Twitter. I, I just thought I was like, well, you know, Twitter's pretty negative place. Anyways, I'm like, you know, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook. It's a lot of social media to keep up with three different things. I'm like, I don't really need Twitter. So just whatever, <laughs> you know, I might, I like uh, I like Twitter because I like looking up news stuff, you know, like even especially with fantasy baseball, fantasy football, stuff like that. I like I like following people on Twitter, but just a lot of negativity on there. So I'm trying to I always try and rid myself of that that stuff. I feel you. And uh, what about uh, any UFC stuff? Like, was that last fight actually your last fight? I know you were kind of on the fence. I mean, yeah, I think so. I, it's uh, kind of one of those deals. I said. You know, if anything interesting comes up, I'll consider it. But to me, it's like, you know, I like uh, I like what I'm doing now. I mean, I'm selling roofs, and uh, it's been it's been good been good to me so far. So I like what I'm doing. I like I like not uh, not beating my body up too much. My my body just wasn't holding up well. You know, I was taking a lot of injuries. So you know, I, I really enjoy I really enjoy sales. It's kind of like up my alley. Um, but, you know, if something interesting comes up, you know, I'd consider it. We'll see. I mean, dude, you went out on a badass win. I mean, you you, uh, you took it to that young man, to say the least. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I kind of expected it to go that way, but I, I'm i glad it did. Yeah, and um, it's funny. You and I were talking. You didn't even know about your NFTs. I got two of them, bitches. So uh, I heard you got some, too. Yeah, I did. I bought, <laughs> I bought a couple, too. I was like, that's awesome. Yeah, I didn't even know. I didn't even know that was a that was a thing. You know, I I had actually just gotten introduced to NFTs by he's a, actually a rodeo guy. Uh, Casey Jones was like he's real big into NFTs, and he was showing me. And then you happened to I left his house that day, and oh, the roofing company is a uh, Bass Roofing and Restoration. So 
yeah, just uh, slanging roofs, baby, knocking out roofs now. Went from knocking out knocking out uh, Filipinos to knocking out roofs, I guess, right away. <laughs> but the uh, he he introduced me to NFTs, and then I was like, I was kind of looking into it, and you happened to you wrote, or we were writing back and forth that day, and he was like. You were like, oh, I, I bought an, one of your NFTs. I was like, NFT? I have an NFT? I just <laughs> learned about these things literally yesterday. Like, how is that possible? So I started looking into it. Now I've bought a couple. Nice. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, you know, I, I have a good bit of NFTs, man, from this UFC stuff. And let's see uh, if they start to go up, man. You know, got me a, a Conor McGregor rookie card, which like, that's I didn't. Awesome. I didn't go out of my way to buy it. It came in the fifty dollar pack, and now it's worth like six hundred. So, R O there got an Izzy and um, a Khabib. So, and a couple chests. So let's see uh, what the valuation of my uh, of my uh, profile is going to be here down the line. Let's see if this really takes off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I hope it does. I hope it does. Honestly, absolutely. Well, Chaz, I'm going to let you out of here, man. Any message for the fans? Get out of here. Uh, no, guys, uh, thank you guys for the support throughout my entire career. It's been awesome. You know, I, I've never felt anything but love from the fans and from uh, from everybody. But I'm actually going to start start a podcast of my own. But it's going to be overall sports because I'm a big sports fan. You know, I love doing breakdowns of fights. I watch fight film constantly. Um, love doing breakdowns of fights. And I hope to come back and talk talk fights with you. But I want to start my I'm going to start my own podcast with uh, overall sports like I love baseball. I love football. I love fighting. So, you know, oh, and thank you guys so much. I appreciate that. You know, uh, I've, I've like I said, I've, I've never felt anything but love from the fans. And and I appreciate always coming on your show. We've always had good times, good talks. And uh, where's Shaq at? Yeah, he uh, he's taking a break. Oh, well, I hope he uh, hope he gets back into it for too long. I, I like that guy. So. Me you too. know, it's, it's been great. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Chaz. I wish you the best, buddy, and I will speak soon. All right, man. Take care. Yeah, for sure. See ya. Later. So that's the man himself, Chaz the Scrapper Skelly. I mean, obviously, we love watching his entertaining fights, but even cooler, dude. So And so goddamn insightful, man. I mean, it's awesome when you – because you hear about a lot of fighters that – um they only care about their fights. Like they don't actually pay attention to the other, other people's fights and Chaz Kelly. I mean, I could see him behind the desk, man. I mean, I, let's get on that ESPN. I think he's earned his, uh, you, he clearly knows what he's talking about. Can break down fights like, like the best of them. So I'd love to see Chaz Kelly on that ESPN desk. And if he decides to come back, we'll be tuning in. But if not, I mean, man, like went out on a very, very high note. So it, it's pretty awesome uh, to see, a career like that, you know, so much respect to Chas Kelly. Thank you to all the fans that tuned in, man. We truly appreciate y'all. And, uh, again, smash that like button, hit the subscribe button. Remember this is an independent show. No big websites backing me. This is just, you know, us showing our love for the game, man. We truly genuinely love it. Do it for y'all. And, uh, truly appreciate it guys so um i will be back next week for the next card it's going to be Bilal muhammad versus vicente luque the rematch uh over a half decade in the making and that's going to be one intense fight you see what both of these guys have done since that point i believe 
and I said the numbers when I interviewed Bilal. I don't remember them off the top of my head, but I think off the top of my head, like like Vicente has gone like twelve and zero or like twelve and one, and like Bilal's gone like one, something like that uh, since the since the last time they fought. So now they're meeting in a main event, and I couldn't think of a better way, uh, you know, to see where both these guys stack because you're gonna see Hamza and Burns on Saturday night. It's almost like a welterweight tournament going on. Hamza and Burns, Bilal and Luke. You got Kamaru taking on Leon Edwards. So exciting times at 170. But this weekend, y'all, these three main fights are going to be absolutely ridiculous. If y'all are in Jacksonville, hit me up. Do not be a stranger. I'd love to meet all you guys. So thank you all so much again. Subscribe to Half the Battle everywhere podcasts are found. Follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at Half the Battle HQ and then on Instagram at Half the Battle Pod. So thank you all so much for the support. Truly appreciate it. Smash that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Share, comment, retweet. Let's get the word out there, guys. Like let's let people know how you truly feel about this show. And guys, it means the world to me, man. So thank you all so much. And also check out my new sponsor, DraftKings Sportsbook, the deal. it is in the is in the show notes, so y'all can check that out. Really badass stuff. Thank y'all so much again, and until the next time, let's cash these bets.